Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.magaw, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Today, we're going to take a deeper dive into the world of personal branding. We're going to feature Dr. Foster Exposé Jr., who is an industrial organizational psychologist and executive coach. He specializes in leadership coaching and organizational behavior, currently serves as the system manager for physician leadership development at UC Health in Denver, Colorado. Since 2006, Dr. Exposé has been a strong asset working for various organizations across the nation. He is highly valued and respected by administrative and physician executive leaders because of his expertise in organizational behavior and leadership development. As an expert on organizational performance, he has facilitated over 50,000 training hours on leadership topics such as organizational culture, emotional intelligence, psychology of teams, communication strategies, and workplace conflicts. Due to his nearly two-decade-long accomplished track record of working with senior executives, many seasoned I.O. professionals have ranked him in the top 10% of the I.O. psychology field. Demonstrating a servant heart and a true desire to help others, the one word used often to describe Dr. Exposé is dynamic. His gentle and transparent voice is valued in any discussion that is focused on improving the work environment for all. As a psychologist, his expertise in human performance in the workplace is nurtured by a career that expands over a decade. In his narratives on human performance, there is a compelling viewpoint that is steeped in philosophies of Sigmund Freud and Carl Rogers. Whether sharing his insights in executive meetings, leadership development classes, or private coaching, Dr. Exposé consistently expresses professional energy, unwavering passion, and a genuine spirit toward helping his leaders achieve their goals. He aims to explain methods to help leaders use the knowledge and passion they already possess to enhance their leadership capabilities and transform their organization's culture. Dr. Exposé's formal educational training includes a dual bachelor's in psychology and sociology, 
a Master of Arts in Industrial Organizational Psychology, and a Mediation Certificate certification from the University of Houston, Clear Lake. He also achieved his Ph.D. in psychology from Capella University. He is a graduate from the Physician Coaching and Neural Leadership Institute, where he received certifications in physician development and brain-based coaching. He also obtained his professional certified coach certification from the International Coach Federation. In his spare time, he also enjoys photography and travel. We want to welcome Dr. Foster Exposé, Jr. Welcome. Welcome, my audience. This is Grant McGall. I'm with Follow the Brand. I am your host. Today, we have a very special guest. I call him my big brother, even though I'm probably about 10 years older than him. This is the way he carries himself, the way that he, he, he exudes confidence. He exudes professionalism, and he exudes a little bit of mystery. Mystery for me, because he's in a profession that I find most interesting and that I don't see a lot of people of color in that profession. He works with physicians. He works with C-suite executives. He works with individuals that you normally don't think of when you think of, okay, what is your you know, psychological makeup? How can I make you a better leader for my position in what I do? And I have a lot of questions Foster, I'm sure my audience does. So I'm going to make sure that I ask the right questions uh, so we can get the most out of Mr. Foster Expose. So without without further ado, I'd like Foster to go ahead and introduce himself. Sure. Thank you so much, Grant. Uh, as you said, uh, Foster Expose Jr. I have to say Jr. because, you know, Foster is the, the original one. Um, I'm here in uh, Denver, Colorado uh, with UC Health Medical Center where I serve as the head of physician leadership development. I am an implant, been here about a year and a half. Houston is home for me, but I was born in Mississippi, raised in Texas. So I have those, those strong uh, Southern roots in me. Um, sure. So by profession, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist. And what we do, we have been trained to apply psychological theories and concepts to the work environment. And that comes in the shape of helping teams with uh, their effectiveness, their relationships, uh, helping leaders to be more efficient in their uh, ability to be leaders, uh, providing them coaching, uh, behavior and personality assessments. Uh, we do some test designs for like, you know, police department jobs, uh, firefighters, stuff like that. We also have organizations go through change. Uh, when you think about change for organization, they tend to stick to just the process and procedure piece. They don't think about the human side of change and how people respond to change. So we help a lot with those kinds of initiatives as well. My God. I mean, when you talk about the human side yeah. and, and this is follow the brand. And one mm-hmm. thing I like to focus on is your personal brand. And for you, I, I, I've, I've, I've been a personal friend of yours for a few years. We met at the national association of health service executives back. And I don't even remember, I don't know if it was down in San Antonio or it was uh, after that, but I was always impressed uh, how you carried yourself very professionally, you, you stood out in a crowd. Thank and you. I appreciate I, that. And I, I found you very interesting. And, mm-hmm. and, then, and then when I looked at your profile, number one, I see you're from the South, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. You've kind of traveled, uh, traveled around and got out. Now you're out in the West. You call that, uh, that the, uh, the West. And mm-hmm. I, 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 here, here's my, first of all, how did you go from being a child born down originally from Mississippi, going to Texas and he finds himself industrial psychologist? Help me frame that. I mean, what, what in you said, this is the profession I want to be in. You know, when, um, when I was in junior college in Baytown, right outside of Houston, I was taking an intro to psychology class. And the instructor was an actual uh, counseling psychologist. And at the end of the course, I said, I was just really fascinated about uh, this course and everything that we learned. Can you share some more information with me? Because I think I may want to go this route. She said, okay, so here's a bunch of books. She gave me like three books to read over the summer. And one of them was on careers in psychology. And I realized that there were probably about 20 different ways to go in psychology, even from like consumer psychologists down to, you know, of course, the traditional, uh, the clinical psychologists. And the one that spoke out to me the most was industrial psychology because it was all about making that work environment more um, cohesive, more collegial. Uh, and so the employees have the best experience. And that's what stood out the most for me. And so I pursued that route. I finished um my um, junior college studies and went on to undergrad at U of H Clear Lake and stayed for my master's in industrial psych and got my, my doctorate in psychology. So um, I was very fortunate in 2006 when I finished my master's degree, one of my colleagues was doing an internship at a Harris County District Clerk's Office. And she said, we've got an opening, you should apply. And thankfully I got the job and that's how I started my career because industrial psych is a hard career to kind of break into. Okay, okay. No, yeah. now now I'm curious, right? Okay. You know, so I, I come from that world of uh, I'm not sure I know anything about psychology and psychiatry. Can you d- help me help us understand the difference between those two disciplines? Sure. So a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. They go through those full 12 to maybe 14 years of school and residency and training. Those are actual physicians. Psychologists, we we study focus mainly on the mind and behavior and things like that. So our clinical psychologists, they go through a program, a two-year program, then they have to do a number of um, maybe a year or so of, of practicing or practicum, if you will, under a licensed clinical psychologist. Then they take their state board exam to get their license as well, and they can prescribe medicine as well. I see. So that's the difference. Okay. Okay. So that, that, that helps me to understand. So if there was one thing you wish that you had known before all of this, before you began your career, can you frame a conversation around some things that you would like to talk about? Sure. Uh, The one thing that I wish that I knew more about my industry of industrial psychology before I went into it was how it's not as diverse as I thought it would be. Um, Because typically industrial psychs, uh, our work falls under the human resources umbrella and the area of organizational development. And that, again, consists of like your talent management, um, test designs, leadership uh, coaching, and and, uh, helping with team science and things like that. And typically because, you know, HR is not a diverse department itself, 
And even those, the, the pinnacle role in our field of uh, organizational development is a vice president of organizational development. There's not many men that have that title and then even fewer black men that have those titles as well. So I wish I'd have known early on when I started my career before I even went into industrial site that I'd known that it wasn't as diverse as it, as it, as it is. Well, you have been successful in doing yeah. this. Yeah. And, and as I looked at a little bit about your, your resume is that you made some pivots. Yeah. You know, it's like you was in, you know, consulting, you talked about your first job, but then you ended up in, in healthcare. Can you just walk us through how that, uh, how that road winded for you? Sure. I got into consulting, um, in 2010. So prior to getting into consulting, I was with Baker Hughes in Houston, which is a oil and gas provider. They actually provide the drill bits for like your shells, your chevrons, your mobiles to drill for that oil. And this was around the time when uh, President Obama took office and the economy tanked in 2009. Right. So my role was eliminated. And at that time, I was working on my uh, dissertation. So I just spent the uh, 15 months working on my dissertation. And I still, to this day, Grant, I have that, that, um, that binder of all those jobs I applied for in 15 months. I mean, it, it's full. And it's like you apply for those things and you hear nothing. I mean, just nothing came back at that time. But I still have that as a reminder that, hey, that was a dark period, but I made through it. Um, yep. So I got into consulting in uh, May of 2010 with Accenture. And I had a chance to travel across the country and work on some great projects from like um, Con Edison up in Brooklyn Heights, a couple of projects at Walmart in um Bentonville, Arkansas, as well as they have a, a office in the fashion district in New York as well. Uh, Deerfield, uh, Illinois with CF Industries and one project with Excel Capital up in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. So I had a good fe uh, fever, not fever, but a good flavor, if you will, of practicing industrial psych in those areas. And that came in the form of helping to manage change and overseeing training and stuff like that. So it was a great experience. But I have to tell you, in two and a half years of doing it and write, writing my dissertation, I was burned out from writing and traveling at the same time. So I kind of hung that up and um, ended up getting on with Cisco Foods in uh, Houston. Uh, you know, Cisco is a huge food distribution uh, across the country. Um, for them, my job was to be the liaison between the operating company and the uh, corporate office when they were implementing the SAP. They were going live with it. Unfortunately, two weeks before I started the role, they decided to put the project on hold. And so I started my, my project, I started my work, I should say, and I didn't have a lot of work to do. So I got the last operating company up off the ground and going with SAP. And then after that work stopped, then I started doing some HR work, like updating their uh, performance management and talent management process. And once that project uh, completed, my role was kind of eliminated. There's nothing else for me to do. So I got recruited to Dallas with uh, Children's Medical Center, where I was a senior OD consultant. And my primary focus was the Physicians Corporation. And I remember when I interviewed for the job, I had like 13 interviews for that job. And it was a role where they had two new parts of the organization. So the Physicians Corporation was new and so was Population Health. And so they needed someone that could handle 34. 
for executives as a consultant. I worked with 34 executives. They were VPs, senior vice presidents, and executive vice presidents. Okay. Um, so I remember when I, uh, I sent in my resume, for some reason, I accidentally sent in the wrong one. I didn't have my PhD on there. And so when they were getting close to making an offer, uh, the, the uh, recruiter Googled me. And she called me and said, hey, do you have a PhD? I said, yeah. She said, well, it's not on your resume. Um, but I see from your LinkedIn profile, you've got a PhD. Yeah, she said, well, that changes everything. I said, is that a bad thing? She said, no. She said, because your primary client's going to be doctors and you need that PhD working with them. I said, really? She said, yeah, that means a lot with them. So, okay. Um, so I ended up getting a job a week later. And actually, compensation went up as well. Um, but I would say that that's where my career really, really took off working with physicians. Um, I think they are just phenomenal individuals um, for what they went to school to do, how they've dedicated their lives to taking care of others. Um, I know not to excuse someone who may have some, some issues with behavior because we all do. But I think they're just wonderful people, and it just gives me great joy to work and support them. It's been great for the last seven years. I've had the chance to create uh, 15 physician leadership programs. So it's, it's been an amazing ride uh, for the last seven years. So That yeah. is a wonderful story. You know, you, you've got to look back to understand how you're going to move forward. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I'm sure that, that 15 months that you had off, you know, challenged you. It's a big challenge. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. What you're going to do next? How is this going to work? You know, there's a lot of question marks. A am I on the right path? Mm -hmm. and, and that's a long time. However, you were able to survive and not only survive, you were able to thrive uh, mm -hmm. in your new environment. So how would you define, because you carry your brand with you all, all times. I'm glad you mentioned like about the PhD, that's a part of your brand that wasn't there that made a huge difference. Uh, so just in retrospect, how would you define your personal brand and how is how has it helped to propel your career? That's a great question. For me, it's all about um, being as genuine as possible and being honest with a lot of integrity with everything that you do. Um, my favorite quote, I mentioned it in another podcast that um, I did a, recently a few weeks ago. It's from uh, General Colin Powell in his book. It worked for me in life and yes. in leadership. Yes. And he says, always do your best. Even no one is looking, you are looking. So don't disappoint yourself. So everything that I do that has my name on it, I'm going to give it 200% of myself. I'm okay. not perfect. I'm not the most knowledgeable. But you know that when you sit down to either have a conversation with me or review my work, you know that is my very best. Well, you, you know, I, I see what you do a lot, especially your digital presence. You, you have a personal code. You've kind of talked uh, a lot about that. My personal code, if you listen to my uh, previous podcast, was about uh, integrity. Mm -hmm. And, and, and be, you have to have some hinging point, some central theme to which projects out into everything that you do. Absolutely. And, and I see that uh, in your presence and in leadership. You're not going to just talk the talk. You're going to walk the walk. And I think when people, when you're interacting with influential people, such as a doctor who has life and death, you know, that they're dealing with most of the time, uh, depending on what kind of doctor they are, and they're going to mm -hmm. take uh, cues from you 
they want to make sure that you're on par with them, that you understand the situation. So I, I definitely applaud you for that. Now, so if you had to give advice to someone wanting to pursue a career, you know, such as yours, is there anything that you would like to state in that regard? My first question would be to them, why do you want to pursue a career in industrial psychology? Why do you want to do that? Um, I've had several individuals reach out to me. They have gone through another master's program. Now they're considering getting a PhD in industrial psych. And so my question is, is, is why? Why do you want to do that? Um, because it's not a, an industry that you can play in, um, meaning that you can't skirt around. You can't just make things up along the way. We're, we're psychologists. We're scientists. Every decision that we make around an intervention in the organization has to, be, come, has to come from data. I have to see data to make the best recommendation. Like, for example, when I provide leadership programs to doctors, I've provided them with a skills assessment that established the baseline of how they are currently performing against like their job description or a success map. Right. And then once I have that, uh, that skills assessment that's been uh, mirrored, that's been created that mirrors that, they respond to those questions and uh, I get that qualitative and quantitative data. Then I'm able to deduce to say, this is what needs to be in your program. Here is where you need development. I don't just throw courses at doctors. It has to be something that, that shows they need development in a specific area. Because once you provide them the intervention, you can come back a year later and take that same assessment. Have we moved the needle on your performance? Right. So as a psychologist, we need to understand, and anyone wants to come into this industry, we don't make any type of recommendations without seeing data and doing our due diligence to understand the issue. Now, is that how you gain the confidence of uh, the individual that you're working with? Because I would figure someone that's a high-performing executive Mm-hmm. And uh, whether they're a physician or in, in, in the C-suite and you work with a number of them, they come with their own set of values. They are probably very, very adept in certain areas. And then you've got to pull out the Achilles mm-hmm. and they've got to respect your assessment. That of itself has got to be uh, challenging. At the same time, you've got to be very, very adept at human psychology to, to understand how to approach sensitive subjects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a great question too, you know, cause sometimes you have a leader call you and say, we are having, uh, behavior problems in the team, or we're having communication problems in the team. What does that mean? I just can't take that as, okay, this is what needs to be fixed. Yeah, I need to go in and do my research. I need to look at what have been the for the past five years. What are the performance scores for your employees? What are the turnover rates? What are the engagement scores uh, telling us? Let me do some uh, some uh, think tanks with your employees to get more of that qualitative narrative. So now I can come back and say after I've done that and peeled it back, peeled back at the, the layers of that onion. Here is what I found: it's not a communication issue. It's a whatever the issue is. Um, and then working with senior executives like that, they like the fact that you do that that type of uh, research and write that report. And then, okay, here's here's the problem. And sometimes that's where you get into Grant call having those difficult conversations. Yes. Uh, sometimes when I go in and do those investigations, sometimes the arrow goes right back to the problem is the senior leader. Right. Because he or she 
has allowed something to happen or to continue to manifest over a year or two, and then here's the outcome. And so that's where that integrity piece comes in. Ownership. Having that, that conversation. Tell me, help me understand, this has been going on for eight or nine months. So after I did my research, why is it an issue going to fix today? Then you get people dancing around the issue. Then you have to ask those direct questions. So help me understand why you've allowed XYZ to happen for eight months. Right. Now we get right. into the real. Yeah. Now, now the discussion really starts. Yeah. Right. Now I can get into problem solving before mm-hmm. you just, you know, talking about, you know, the situation. But, you know, how do we actually solve the problem? And especially when you got human behavior, we talk about human factors a lot in my profession. What are those human factors? How can we change behavior? Obviously, if you're the the leader, you can change behaviors of your team. You can kind of maybe force that or maybe you can manage through that. But to to see your own uh, flaws and some, you know, it takes somebody to step back and see their own flaws and then accept it, accept your recommendation. You know, and and as you talked about earlier about demographics, here you are. Uh, how you perceive me as a male? How do you perceive me as a black male? How do you perceive me, you know, whether my age or whatever it might be? You've got to like peel back those onions to get to that point. Like we're two human beings talking to each other. And I, I don't, I, I'm not going to impact you unless you allow me to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And that's the beat of the work, too. You know, you really connect with that leader and, Oftentimes, the recommendation that I have that comes out in the end is that, leader, I'm not going to pull all these people together for some type of a half-day intervention. Their salaries, my salary, didn't have you attend as well. That's a very expensive meeting Right. when the issue is you, leader. Let's have a conversation. I think we need to get into a coaching relationship for six months to help you grow the skill about is it uh, strategy? Is it approaching difficult conversation? Is it accountability? I don't know whatever it is, whatever the, the, the result of that uh, research and that recommendation is, but I can go in, do an intervention for the team, but if the leader is not strong enough to keep that going, it's a waste of time and money. Our departments, the work we do, we spend money. We don't, we're not money generators, right. but if we can show that this is a return on investment, that we've done this, we brought this intervention. And so now as a result, we've got performance scores of going up. We have turnover rates that go down. Now we're showing how we're making yeah. money for the organization. Yeah. Got to measure, right? Yeah. You can't manage if you can't measure. Absolutely. So my question to you, a little bit off script, but on script, meaning so how do you assess yourself? You're a clinical or an industrial psychologist. You assess others uh, a lot. How do you assess yourself? Oh, that's a great question. I continuously seek feedback from leaders, from my boss, so I get more of that insight. Uh, and I'm also someone who's very real with myself. I know when I've uh, when I did a great job, when I've actually dropped the ball. I'm a human being. I know it. Right. And there's no re- right. like to uh, Colin Powell's point. No need to lie. It's just me. One of the things I love to do, I've shared this with you once before. Uh, I do love to go to New York for Christmas, and I like to go sit in Central Park with a nice big old cup of uh, coffee and just think about 
what did I do great this past year and where I need to improve and work on for the next year. And I try to set one or two goals for myself so that they're realistic, not try to take on 10 goals in one year. I want to accomplish those things, one or two to move forward. But again, I think that that self-talk being uh, well in tune with yourself and knowing when you have done a great job and when you've dropped the ball and being able to say, yeah, I dropped the ball. And one of the things that I have found for me as a professor, a professional that has helped me um, gain credibility with senior leaders, when I know I've dropped the ball, I'll, I'll go in and have a meeting and say, I apologize for X. I was not well prepared for X. And here is how it, I saw it landed for, landing for your people. And here's where I'm going to fix it. I recommend I come back and I do X, Y, Z to, to fix it. No, that's accountability uh, in your Absolutely. profession. And I think that bodes well with credibility. Because mm-hmm. if you're, you're obviously giving a lot of feedback to a lot of individuals, but when you can do it for yourself and then within that same group, say, hey, this is where I I think I can improve on There's mm-hmm. some performance improvement for for Foster. Mm-hmm. I, I think that 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 bodes well. I would trust you because I know you've got to establish trust and continue to establish trust throughout your 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 uh, engagement with those individuals. Yeah, I don't like the emperor with no clothes on, and I quickly <laughs> tell them, "Hey, I went out without my shirt on and messed that one up." Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Here's how we need to fix it. <laughs> so talking about that, you know, taking a problem, a problem that's bigger than you, mm-hmm. that you're passionate about, you know, uh, what are you what are you solving with the, the skills that you have? How do you take a problem that's bigger than you and, and live your personal brand through that? What are you doing in that regard? This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement and operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. Uh, Grant, that's a that's a great question. Oh man, um, there's two, but I'm gonna try to keep it down to one. But it, there is really two. Yeah. Uh, one is to help grow and change the narrative of black men. That's my first uh, thing. That's that's a huge problem I think across this country. I, I'm just going to be completely transparent. I don't think black men have had the chance to be seen or just be human beings. Mm-hmm. I think we're just uh, viewed as uh, objects for uh, to be utilized for like for sports, entertainment, uh, some other type of thrill that someone else may have for us. But when it really comes down to seeing us as human beings, 
help us progress and move forward. I don't think that is is happening or has happened. And I say that because I, I look at all of the um, diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives across this country, and the focus is is women, 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 and not to take anything away from women where they have been have been suppressed and treated badly and paid unfairly. I'm completely on board for that. But what has happened is you've moved so much of that to help women. Now you, where the black men, where the men of color, where are opportunities? I remember talking to, um, she was a white female and uh, she's a diversity officer. Right. And she she was brought in to fix a department that was uh, heavily male dominated. And she's been there about what, 15 years now. And she's changed it. It's very diverse. There's a lot of women in leadership. They've written a book. So it's great. I was really proud. And when she and I met for the first time, she was very transparent. She said, I was great and happy to everything that I did to change this department and give women a chance to be leaders. She said, but she said, oh, shit, I forgot black men. Uh-huh. She said, I don't have I don't have a I have one black man that is in a leadership role. She said that she, this is a white woman telling me this. Yeah, she said, yeah, she said, this is something I have recognized with other diversity officers. We don't include black men because we lump men all in the same category, but the men that have had the roles have been white men, not a whole right. men. So therefore we're always, always forgotten. So with that kind of uh, mindset out there and we're not being looked at in terms of uh, succession plans or giving chance for uh, advancement and leadership roles. That's why I want to teach Black men to own their careers. You mentioned I've had some movement in my career. I own my career. If I don't see that I can grow further with the organization, then I'm going to leave. I'm not going to have myself uh, put into a box and have 20,000 things dumped on me and I have a chance to advance up. But I'm not going to do that. I own my career. So I try to teach Black men about that. The other thing, too, I don't want to um, miss the opportunity to talk about this. Let's go. Um, For the last year, I have come to see the huge leadership void in this country because what's happened with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's it's huge. I mean, there are so many people. We've always always knew that there were people in leadership who shouldn't be in leadership. But that ugly mask has come off for the last year or so because you have a lot of people with this crisis that was going on did not know how to lead through that crisis. Because for the last, you know, pre, uh, pre-pandemic, it was just about, let me manage processes, procedures. Right. I got that under control. Now for the last year or so, you're getting into the psychology of your work as a leader, meaning taking care of people which means you got to get into the touchy-feely. you got to provide a psychologically safe space where people can say, hey, boss Grant, this is what's going on at home. My wife has lost her job. Mm-hmm. I'm the only income. I've got relatives living with me. We're living off of one income. I am stressed. Now so-and-so, this person's died, that person's died. This is the piece leaders didn't know how to handle. Right, right. I, I had people calling me like, well, I just had these nurses come to my office crying. I don't know what to do. When I start talking about the change curve, how we all deal with change different, whether it's uh, we're surprised, we're we're in fear, uh, we're depressed, we're angry, whatever it is, everybody's at different points on that change curve. 
Okay. And once I started talking about that, leaders like, okay, now I understand why they were, one person was this, one person was that way. We all react to it differently. So I said all that to say, um, we've got a lot of work to do in this country about leadership. And I think I posted something uh, about a week or two ago. You can't put people in leadership because of credentials, uh, time on the job, or politics. It has to be someone who has the potential to do the work. They may not have never had the title, but look at what they've done. Right. There's your potential. There is, you know, leadership is something that is, is so personal because the decisions that you make as a leader have quantifiable outcomes whether you know it or not they have quantifiable outcomes because that simple decision that you make or that the decision to make that flippant remark can impact a person they take that home with them right that impacts wife impacts kids impacts their health they could blood pressure could go up whatever not even on medication all that stuff is quantifiable outcomes that's why I say if you're going to be in leadership, you have to understand it is serving people. It is not about that corner office, that title, that bonus, all those perks. It's not about that. It's about taking care of people. If you don't want to do that, then you need to get out of leadership. That is excellent advice. Uh, I, I read that. I, I hone into that. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that even a little bit deeper, because as I look into specifically in into Black America. Right now, you've had a triple tsunami, meaning of crisis. Uh, you've had the COVID crisis. Obviously, that's from a disease front. Now you've got you're facing unemployment. You know, there, there's job insecurity that even if you have a job, there's insecurity with it. And then now you bring this uh, uh, the, the racial climate into the workforce. And now you're going back to work. A lot of a lot of our people, you know, you're going back to work. So now you've got this triple tsunami coming back into the office. We're not even talking about the uh, the problems with uh, gun violence, mm-hmm. you know, in the workplace. And, and we 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 I, and it's sad to say, I've become somewhat numb to it. Meaning, oh, there goes another shooting of five people. Oh, there's another. We don't even know the causes that come up to that. So if you can. Talk to the audience in those respects about because those are huge burdens that we're carrying back into the office right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, I've I've spoken about this uh, briefly over the last few weeks, you know, to your point, as this this clinical tsunami of COVID-19 starts to subside like it is, what's on the heels of that is a psychological pandemic that people are not paying attention to or preparing for, in particular with leaders. Now, let's take that down to to team science. The DNA of a team, it consists of, if you and I are together on a team, your experiences, my experiences, your education, my education, your beliefs, my beliefs, your communication style, so on and so forth. We come together and we make a team. That becomes our team's DNA. Just like a mom and dad have a child, that child has different parts of mom and dad. Right. So you think about putting 15, 20 people together, all that comes together to make a team. And pre-pandemic, we all had a psychological contract with our, our bosses, and our bosses had that with us, meaning we both had expectations of each other for certain things. 
now that COVID is happening, we're starting to get back to the work environment. We've had a year or two, year and a couple of months, I should say, to really dig into our feelings and how also how COVID has changed all of us. So now to your point, as we're coming back to work, I need a new psychological contract for my boss, meaning I need my boss to be more caring, more empathetic. I need you to see me as a human being because everybody's thoughts are you got your two shots, go back to work, you're good to go. No, I'm not right here inside. You know, for me personally, I haven't seen my mom since Christmas of 19. Right. So that is getting to me, but no one's asked me about that. No one has, has said, you know, I've been, I've had a couple of bosses that have asked me, you know, how are you doing? I know you, as soon as you got here to Denver, the pandemic happens, you were stuck in your apartment by yourself for over right. a year. <laughs> so I've had, I've had some great bosses that used to help that have asked me, you know, how am I doing? How am I feeling? Can I support you? What do you need? Can I take you out to eat? I've had that. So that's been great for me. It's been really great. But then there are some other ones as well who don't really uh, ask their employees about that or understand that now people coming back to work, we need something different. So aside from that more than human side of it, we're needing more of the flexibility in the work environment. So I've been working from home for a year. So why do I have to come back and get my work done at home? Yeah. So, so many employers now are often work from remote now. Even some are saying out of state, you can do it. So that's that new psychological contrary people are needing because especially if you are a parent and got kids, it's been great now that you can take your kids and just walk from the bedroom to the next room and go to work in your pajamas and take care right. of your kids. Now I got to go back to work. So people need something different. And we have to understand, leaders have to understand your employees are different. So as they come back and then when I talk about the psychological pandemic, how everyone has experienced uh, COVID, how they're hurting in the inside, that is something you need to really pay attention to because I think so many employers, and I understand we have to, because businesses are businesses, we have to make money, but you got to take care of the people that are producing the product so that you can make money. Absolutely. Yes, you, you just can't gaze over the last, a uh, year or so and think it was, you know, nothing. You have to pay attention to that. You, you brought up some, some amazing points. And I think about relationships, especially the individual at home and not only that individual, their family setting, because you've built a new relationship, even in the home setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With kids seeing their parents probably for m- more than they've seen them in a long time. That's created a whole new dynamic. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. a lot of lot of change, though. So you can't expect this person just like you flip that switch off in what February of 2020 and flipped it back on here. Now we're in June, you know, 2021, and, and expect the person to be the same. No, there's been a lot of change under the cover. Absolutely. You're not aware of. So why don't, and I, I like the way you said, why don't you just step back a little bit, allow this person to tell you their story? Yeah. What has been happening with you? for the last year that I probably am not aware of. You know, I started a job about a year ago or so. I've never seen my boss. 
I just got actually business cards, you know, for, for I was like, I never needed them. I'm like, you know what? I, I had to go out and I had to go to a, a golf tournament. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I don't even have any business cards. This is this stuff, you know, you know, like this is how change and sometimes you don't realize how much change has really gone on until you begin to re-engage. Absolutely. Like you used to, and then you start to say, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And then you start to, for me, it was a lot about, you don't realize, I didn't realize the social, the, the potency of social interaction. Yeah. The physical side of that. You, know, mm-hmm. you do so much, and, and I love virtual. It, it gives a certain, it's a different dynamic. It's not the same as being in person. You're not going to mm-hmm. pick up the same things. And then now you really realize the value of having that kind of just presence. Mm-hmm of just presence. Yeah. And then what you said, the emotional presence, because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sure people, and I hope the audience as they listen to, to this and they think about the emotional presence, can you bring your whole self into the situation and realizing as you reflect on the last year and a half and all the things, all the things that we've had to absorb. And then yeah. now, interact with people as if it's it's normal and it's not it's not so now you got to have some different conversations yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> and that's where we're finding that we have leaders who don't know how to do that they don't know how to have those difficult conversations they don't know how to create that psychologically safe space, space. environment yeah, that's therein lies the challenge because again they've been hiding behind just managing processes. Right now you've got to be real uh, with a complete situation because just like in a car you've got four tires and one of those tires don't don't work it goes flat you're not going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And you got to know how to fix it and if you don't <laughs> you don't know how to pull out a spare or or, or or whatnot or what it may be. And there's a lot of change that's going on. But like I said, that uncertainty that's in the environment right now, especially in the work environment, it's got to be at an all-time high. So getting back to what the, this whole conversation really bolds around, around the personal brand and how to assess yourself. I love how you talked about in New York that you step back and you do a true assessment of yourself mm-hmm. and take a look at your own SWOT analysis. Yeah. And understand, you know what? I do have weaknesses in this area and own it. And then what are you going to do to improve upon that? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I enjoy too in those um, very intimate coaching conversations. I'll say the last uh, five months I've been working with uh, a few physician uh, leaders in the coaching capacity. And what, again, what I love about them is that. Once there's trust with you, they really open up and and talk about it. And they are the ones I've worked with. I say they're such genuine people who want to do a great job as a leader. Right. And so they they take in information. They come into those coaching sessions, and they do the work. They do the work. So I've just been completely impressed over the last seven years of working with them as leaders. I think they are phenomenal. And I do have some administrative leaders I work with from time to time. Uh, over the last seven years, I should say, in healthcare, um, 
they will come in and do the work, but I just, I get more of the dedication from a physician. Mm-hmm. They want to do that great job. They they really understand that I studied medicine for 12, 14 years. I haven't really understood this, this piece around people and leading them. Yeah. I want to cultivate and grow that skill. So been very impressed with them. Well, let's talk about in your world, you know, what in your life do you have a passion and energy for that has become a part, just a, a big part of your personal brand? It's, uh, I did an event back in February uh, called Metamorphosis, yeah. which is my brand of coaching. Uh, it's really about helping that person go through that, that process of, or that transformation, if you will, to kind of uh, peel back the layers of their old self and to emerge in, as a new individual. And so when I have those conversations with my clients and as they start to work through um, their, their challenges or work through their goals and start having those aha moments, I like to say, hey, touchdown. They, they love that because right then they're having their metamorphosis. They are seeing themselves different. So that has become part of my brand that whatever I do, whether it's a one-on-one coaching, whether it's an intervention, or if it's providing some type of a lecture, I want you to come in to get something where, as I'm speaking, addressing the audience, I can see people's eyes dancing. They're learning something and they walk away, hopefully different after having that experience. So that is part of my brand. Oh, without question. I went through that course, one of the courses you have uh, online uh, Mm -hmm. with some and it was fantastic. Thank you. Not only with yourself, but other you know, industrial psychologists that you're partnered with throughout the, the country. And you did it specifically for, for black men. Mm-hmm. You wanted to have, say, you know what? I've got a captive audience. I know you're at home. I know you're there. <laughs> I, I want you to <laughs> tune in to me, you know, just turn on that the computer, turn on your phone and, uh, and, and let's have a good conversation, mm-hmm. a great conversation from different aspects of the dysphoria of uh, uh, black people across this globe and let's go through a transformation let's talk about the things that you can't talk about because i, I truly believe even just as men that you can't be as open even in the family setting because of uh, you know the lack of showing emotion yeah that yeah. you always got to have it together mm-hmm. and you don't always have it together yeah yeah you know, we just talked about that hey, hey you got job insecurities you know, you obviously you've got the COVID, you got to worry about, hey, if I'm going to get it, or my kid's going to get it, or they're going to bring it home, and they're going to infect mom and dad. You know, you've got that hanging over you all the time. And at the same time, you walk around thinking like, oh, my God, here's the police. Think about this now. As a black man, you're mm-hmm. just getting in your car, you're going to go to the grocery store, and you're driving, and you're getting pulled over. Yeah. It's going through yeah. your head right now. That no, yeah. that's, didn't go through your head two, three, maybe even five years ago. Now it's in your head. Like, how is this going to go? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it, it takes me back to last year when we lost uh, George Floyd. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, you talked about the COVID-20. Thank God I've not put on the COVID-20. But on Saturday morning is the morning I like to go over to uh, this donut place and get me a couple of donuts. Yeah. And this is a few days after uh, we lost uh, Brother Floyd. And I remember just being in tears driving to the donut place because could I die just going to get two damn donuts? Wow. So um, it was a very emotional drive for me. Um, 
Yeah, I I have I, I'm I have no problem with expressing my my feelings or emotions. I'm a man. I'm a human being, and I have that confidence. If it's if it needs to come out, it's going to come out. Right. Um, but I'll tell you this: in the work environment, it's not going to come out in an unprofessional way. It will come out in the most professional way as possible. But amongst um, my friends, and I've spoken about this before with with other black men, I always say: if you don't have at least one or two guys in your circle. Mm-hmm. that you can be real with and be open and vulnerable and cry, you need to change your circle. Thank you. Because those two people will give you the real. They are all, you should always have one or two friends who are going to give you that true feedback and also be your quote-unquote uh, port in the storm. If things are bad and get to that one person, then you've got a good friend. Oh, that's, that's sage advice. Love it, love it, love it. And I, I want to... Because you're doing a lot of things. You know, like I said, you're, you are not just working at uh, UC Health. Yeah. You're doing a lot of different things. And I want you to have the opportunity to tell the audience what you're doing, how they can tune into you and get more of your coaching. I've gotten some of that coaching. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I, I love it. I, I think I'm going to get close to my PhD. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I host a a monthly, uh, a lot of my work, external work, I should say, outside of uh, UC Health is to go back to, I think, my platform or my uh, my driver is helping Black men. So once a month, I host a uh, event called A Cup of Coffee with my brothers, where we get together on a virtual call and we have a very open, candid conversation about a specific topic. Uh, once a year, I host an annual Men of Color Leadership Conference. Normally, it's in August, but this year is going to be in November, November 5th and 6th. And this year, uh, the theme is Unbreakable. Black men are unbreakable. We're unbreakable in our uh, emotions, our spirituality, our leadership, our careers, our finances. So it's going to be a great event. That's going to be November 5th and 6th. Um, I do serve on different uh panels for uh like mentoring next month the national medical association which is one of the oldest african-american physician organizations in the country they're hosting their annual conference and they have a physician executive component last year i did two pieces for them this year i'm going to do a full hour on managing the psychological pandemic for those physician executives so no, that that's wonderful, wonderful work, wonderful work. And if, and if they wanted to get in contact with you, is there an email address, a website? Uh... Yeah, so you can uh, contact me at coach at drexpose.net. Right now, my website is in the process of uh, going under reconstruction so it can be updated because it was uh, created about four years ago. It's time for a huge facelift, so working on that. Uh, so that should be up and running, fingers crossed, by early July so they can reach me at drexpose.net. You can follow me on Twitter under Foster Expose Jr. or either connect with me on LinkedIn under the same name, Foster Expose Jr. And, and I encourage everyone to follow Foster. Number one, he's going to give you excellent information if you want to know anything about uh, leadership and, and, and the things that he, the way he conveys his message. And I say this because I say this in jest because it I, it cracks me up. He's got this meme. He's got this little. He's got he's he's got a cartoon self <laughs> that that looks so much like him. I can't. I said that is 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 Foster actually a cartoon? 
No, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's phenomenal. I love the way that you project yourself in digital media. It is phenomenal. It catches my attention. I, and and I, I know you've garnered a great audience. You lead with a personal brand that is infectious, that is educational. And, and number one, it's inspiring. Thank you. And I want you to continue to do what you're doing. I am so glad to have you as a, a guest on Follow the Brand. Thank and you. Uh, well, once we get this episode out and run, share it, share it often. I think this was a phenomenal opportunity for others to kind of debrief, take a nice deep breath and really do some self-assessment and think about your brand and think yeah. about yourself more, more importantly. So if there's anything you'd like to say before we conclude, the mic is yours. You know, it's, I've, I've enjoyed this time with you. Um, and I, one of the things that I live my life by is being focused and keeping my form, focus and form. And I'm not the smartest person, not the most talented, but God has blessed me with a lot. And I give back as much as possible. Um, when my dad taught me when I was young, he said, in your 20s, you make your mistakes. Your 30s, you should be working at playing. 40s, you really should be reaping the benefits. 50, you start giving back. Where I started early, I just turned 48 about six months ago, and I'm really giving back as much as possible because if I depart tomorrow or either today, and I haven't shared enough of what God's been giving me, I haven't done my job while I was here. It's all about being a servant and helping others. So that's where I live my life by. I hope other people adapt that same mentality to be of service to other people. No, without question. And I thank you very much uh, again, Foster. Love everyone for following the brand. You can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, or on my website, which is www.5starbdm, B for brand, B for development, M for masters.com. Until next time, enjoy 